This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home, leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self-care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A radio.com station. From the Malamut and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. That is a very, very robust, vigorous, achu sneeze. That's what that is. And that's not what we're talking about. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning, and thanks for joining us on Your Radio Doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. I'm very excited by our topic today, music and medicine, and you'll be really excited to hear about our guests. We've heard it said that music fills the gaps left by language. It sets a mood. When you watch a movie, the dark minor chords prepare you for the shark to come out of the water. Sweet violins may lead to a man on bended knee promising eternal love. And big trumpets let you know the king has a proclamation. Well, a good deal of scientific data show that music can act as therapy. Joining us today is Dr. Alexander Penteliat, Assistant Professor of Neurology at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. We'll also hear from two members of Philadelphia royalty, Mr. Sid Mark, legendary host of The Sounds of Sinatra, and the one and only Gita with the Hita, Mr. Jerry Blavitt. These two men provide the music, and we welcome the therapy. So let's begin. Dr. Alexander Penteliat, an accomplished violinist, a neurologist at Johns Hopkins, and the co-director of Johns Hopkins Center for Music and Medicine. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Marianne. It's a pleasure to be here. Alex, as a neurologist, you treat patients with movement disorders such as Parkinson's, people who've had strokes. What does hearing and playing music do to the brain, short-term and long-term? Well, in a nutshell, uh, it seems that music, just listening to music, but even more so playing music or singing can activate more areas of the brain at the same time than just about any other human activity. 
when I do presentations, I show an uh, illustrative slide that uh, shows about 50 different areas that are activated in response to listening or playing music. So, for example, the uh, emotion and reward pathway, listening to a pleasant song is going to activate that same, some of those same areas that are activated when we uh, take drugs of abuse, alcohol, cocaine, etc. And it could be activated by music just as strongly. Um, but you know, one size doesn't fit all. If it's an unpleasant piece of music, uh, piece of music you have unpleasant memories uh, in connection to, that's going to activate different parts of the brain, those triggering your ancient fight or flight response. In addition, listening to music, playing music can activate a host of other areas in the brain that are involved in paying attention, that are involved in speech production. Often we think of uh, music, especially if we have prior musical training, we think of it as another language. Uh, it's activating areas involved in producing movement, not surprisingly, as well as uh, several other areas that are important for processing of sound, for being able to pay attention, for being able to remember autobiographical memory is strongly linked to uh, listening to music as well. In the long term, there are emerging studies that indicate uh, listening, um, or I should say, uh, performing music, taking music lessons, singing lessons, especially when you're young, can actually protect from some aspects of hearing loss later on. And there's a study that literally came out last week out of Chile in Frontiers in Neuroscience, one of our journals, that showed that kids, after as little as two years of being exposed to instrumental music lessons and attending orchestra, have measurable real changes in the brain um, that show that they're able to pay attention a bit better than their peers who did not um, get exposed to music lessons and uh, who were matched for IQ for similar socioeconomic status. So it seems like... Uh, in young adulthood, in school-age kids, music, uh, particularly playing music at least weekly, taking lessons, can uh, develop their uh, language skills, both primary language, the first and second language acquisition. It may also improve their ability to pay attention to other subjects like math and science. And uh, there are, uh, yes. That's incredible. I, I, we had a, um, a music teacher in my children's school who used to say, take piano, it improves your math skills. And I was thinking it's because you're teaching a child to, to think in patterns like octaves on the scales, decades of numbers. But as you say, it triggers parts of the brain. That is fascinating. Well, are there certain um, illnesses that benefit more than others or specific age groups that can benefit from music therapy? Yeah, thanks for that uh, great question. So um, there is research has uh, that's being conducted across the age span. I already mentioned kids. It's not Children. my area because I'm not, uh, yes, I'm not in pediatrics. Mm -hmm. I deal mostly on the other side of the spectrum, people who are age 65 or older. And uh, I could tell you that there are a number of studies in people with Parkinson disease uh, including some of those that, that we could talk about in a few minutes that uh, we've conducted at Johns Hopkins that indicate people with Parkinson's disease who sing in a choir can improve their voice loudness, which can uh, impact their communication for the better. They uh, report better mood, reduced anxiety as a result of participating in group music activities, 
such as taking guitar lessons or, again, singing in a choir or being in a drum circle. And uh, there are a number of studies across different illnesses, including uh, people with dementia, particularly the Alzheimer type, where um, there is evidence that mood and uh, anxiety can be improved. Uh, in uh, patients who have dementia. Um, that's just a couple of examples, but uh, uh, another type of music, uh, I should say rhythm-based intervention called rhythmic auditory stimulation has been studied since the 1970s, and it could help people with Parkinson's disease or stroke or multiple sclerosis walk better, improving some aspects of their walking and balance. Uh, and in uh, Parkinson's disease from last year, there was a study that indicates uh, this kind of rhythmic auditory stimulation walking to a metronome, strong march-like beat, and actually uh, reduce falls, which is very important to us as uh, uh, those who treat Parkinson's disease. Oh, sure. And so you've already mentioned my question about different types of music, a drum beat versus listening to a piano or a violin has different effects uh, depending on the condition. How did you get started? I know you are a very accomplished violinist. It must be pretty remarkable to combine your two loves, your love of music and your love of medicine. Tell us a little bit more about how that works in the, the uh, music and medicine department at Johns Hopkins. Well, Marianne, uh, first of all, I want to start off by saying that for my patient's sake, I very much hope that I'm a much better um, physician at this point than I am a musician. Although, oh. you're right, music does remain, <laughs> remain a very important part of my life. I've been playing the violin since I was seven and uh, took lessons uh, through college. It's uh, something that really is my stress relief personally speaking, is my respite. It's something that could get my mind off uh, anything that's going on that's negative or stressful for a given day. Um, so, it's, so it's therapy would, for you, yeah. too. Yeah. What, what's the most oh, excited? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What are you most excited about as you see the future? We're about a minute and a half left, the future of music and sure. medicine field. Absolutely. I think the future is really bright. Just to give one key example, finally, after a very long time, the National Institutes of Health, the main funder of uh, medical research in the United States and, frankly, worldwide, is paying attention to the music medicine field. Last year, they funded $20 million um, worth of music and, uh, and health projects looking at research studies that could um, improve our understanding of how is it that music can impact the brain and the rest of the body, and how could it be harnessed to benefit humanity? I'm very excited about uh, studies that pertain to music and Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease, since this is really the focus of my work. And I'm uh, feeling I feel very fortunate to be able to help move this field of clinical research forward at Johns Hopkins. Well, it's a beautiful plan. We're going to take a little break and hear from our other doctors of medicine. And we'll be back with Dr. Pantelia before the show is over. Thanks, Alex. Thanks so much, Marianne. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.com. Today we're talking about music as medicine, and I am thrilled to be here with Sid Mark, 
the doctor of music who makes house calls every Sunday morning, bringing joy and comfort with the sounds of Sinatra. For over 64 years, his smooth, calming voice has shared the music and the stories behind the music and the man. Welcome, Sid. It's an honor to have you on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Mary, or should I call you doctor? Oh, Marianne is perfect. Marianne is perfect. Everybody tells me that. (laughs) Oh, well, Frank Sinatra started with the Bobby Soxers in 1943 and kept the love burning and aching hearts separated by war. And 77 years later, he is still helping people fall in love and celebrate life. Sid, why do people of all ages relate to Frank Sinatra? Because he relates to each and every one of them. And uh, when you stop to think about it, the only, the only artist that has ever had hit records in 39, 49, 59, 69, 79, 89, and even in the 90s when he did duets. And in duets, he went and recorded with younger performers so that he could still reach the younger audience. So he did it as a business and he did it out of love and out of tremendous knowledge of the business. Yeah, and we know that life imitates art and art imitates life. And he was always known for his phrasing because he told a story through the music. He never learned to read music. I was astonished to learn that. And he was a perfectionist. He always recorded with a live band. And when he would say, I've got you under my skin and I like you under my skin. You just hear him say it and you think he's singing right to you. Well, there's no question. Interestingly, this past week, I like to reread my Sinatra books and I have 75 of them. And I was looking at one called Sinatra 101 of 101 of the best songs he ever did. And I thought of you when I came to one that said of all of his recordings, And of all of the recordings that we've talked about, turned out to be your favorite, I Have Dreamed. Oh, oh, I do. I I tear up when I hear him sing that. And I know we had a wonderful conversation together recently, and I thank you for that. I asked your favorite Sinatra song, and you said, it depends on your mood. Knowing that, is that how you plan your weekly show, or is it by the season? I know you play every song for a reason. Well, it depends. Now, this current group of things that I'm doing in year 64... I'm doing a chronological view of Frank where I'm replaying things that he did in the month of January, February, March, April, and coming up now in uh, October, November, you get to things that were recorded 60 years ago and still sound like he was in the studio yesterday with Sinatra and Strings, his first recordings with Don Costa. Sid, you were his best friend, really. Did he ever tell you what his favorite song was? He pretty much ran along the same lines, depending on the mood that he was in. Quite obviously, when New York, New York came along, that was in every show. In the 50s, he never did a show without doing uh, Here Is That Rainy Day. In the latter years, he would always, usually the third or fourth song along to For Once in My Life, and he would always say, gee, I love that song. I love the arrangement and the feeling behind it. And he hoped that every one of us would have something like that for once in our lives. Well, I read that he didn't like one of our all-time favorites, Strangers in the Night, and my little grandson Tommy loves to sing Doobie Doobie Doo. I wonder why he, maybe he didn't like a a particular recording of it, or is that true? Yes, very much so. Wow. He would introduce it on stage by saying that. 
Isn't that something? He said, here's one that I have to do. I, and I, it's, it's such a magnificent song. Well, Sid, you receive hundreds of emails a week from your adoring fans because they say you help them heal after an illness or lift their spirits after a loss and bring back sweet memories. In fact, I loved reading that Mayor Frank Rizzo used to report the power dipped across Philadelphia on Sunday mornings as fans turned into the Sid Mark show. What's your message to your fans? Well, first of all, I am most appreciative that it has lasted as long as it has. Uh, we're just talking about it last night with Judy. If anybody even attempted to get into radio the way I did all those years ago, now they wouldn't have a chance of getting in the front door. And no one can tell you that more than Frank Canal, who produces your show and my show, about how this business has changed dramatically, where it doesn't really depend necessarily on the personnel or the personality, but of all the gimmicks that are involved in all of the infomercials and all of the shows that are obviously, Frank would be appalled by all the politics on the air today and probably wouldn't agree with many of them. With well, the I know that. Uh, with, oh, no, go ahead. That's fine. I was saying with all of the movements today with uh, Black Lives Matter and all the different groups, it was Frank Sinatra, not anybody else, not any of the leaders, who he himself broke the color line in Las Vegas, Nevada, when they would not allow a performer to stay in the hotel where he or she was performing. Mm -hmm. He went in and said, I want Count Basie to stay with me at the Caesars Palace. And they said, that's not possible. And he said, what's business like that? You're sold out for the whole 10 days. He said, fine, get another boy. I'm leaving unless he stays on the same floor in the same suite next to mine. They said, you're kidding. He said, try me. And they sure. eventually moved. Yeah, and you know that's so important because we're talking about years and years ago. Sure, sure. Well, he was a loving person, and it came through in his music and his stories. And, and getting back to you, lifting our spirits, when, when we were first married, my husband and I moved to New York. It was a bit intimidating. And that first weekend, I turned the stereo on. Who has stereos anymore? <laughs> and I heard Saturdays with Sinatra, and I said, I'm good. I'm going to make it here, like they say in New York, because I felt better hearing you. I knew I could run around the corner and say, Sid, help. But I also pictured my own sweet parents just sighing when they heard Frank Sinatra dancing cheek to cheek in the kitchen. Um, you know what else is kind of interesting? Really, Frank Sinatra was the first person to come up with the concept of an album. Am I right? He wanted people to be able to drop the needle on a 12-inch record and have 18 to 20 minutes of theme music, right? the same orchestration and similar music. And he did In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning, and that was an album of all ballads. Am I right about that? Yes, it was the first album I bought when I got out of the service. <gasps> oh. bought two albums that day, Wee Small Hours and Something Cool by June Christie. I remember Frank saying, and others too, you have to have your heart broken a couple of times to totally appreciate songs there. For instance, the song had never entered my mind People always refer to that as the orange juice song. They say, what are you talking about? Because one of the lyrics is ordering orange juice for one. And you have to realize this is a guy talking about always having been with his lady, always having two orange juices in the morning, and now ordering just the one. And he was able to express that in music. Sid, who do you think was the focus of 
wee small hours of the morning. Who was he saying that to? I think Frank, when he did wee small hours, was singing to every woman that he ever met, every woman who ever wished they could meet him, all the guys who wished they were him, and Frank giving his message of true love. It was his idea to do all ballads. They wanted him to continue to do things like World on a String, but after he met Nelson Riddle, they came up with this concept, and that's what it was called. It was the first of the concept albums. Sid, you are the ultimate Sinatra ambassador. I've heard you say that Frank Sinatra was the convertible and the golf clubs and the girls. He was a lifestyle, and you really admired him on so many levels. What was your promise to Frank? I promised him that I would do it as long as I possibly can. And he used to ask his son, who would, a dear friend of ours, what's with him? Doesn't he know there are other people that he can play? And how come he never plays any Jewish people? Why are all Italians? Sid, it sounds as though Frank considered you as family, his little brother. And you've said it's been a good ride and how blessed you are. I'm going to say that we're blessed to have you. And I hope you have another 64 years left because I think you are among the very young at heart. Thank you, Sid. Thank you so very much. If I'm going to do another 64, I better sign you up as my doctor. <laughs> it would be an honor. Thank you. God bless. My, my pleasure. Thank you for including me. Of course. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And welcome back. And now I'm thrilled to welcome one of my favorite doctors of medicine, the Geeter with the Heater. Welcome, Jerry Blavitt. Well, greetings and salutations to the entire population from the big boss with the hot sauce. I am the doctor with the rocker, talking with a pretty, pretty lady who's a doctor of a doctor. (laughs) Pretty little pretty one. Jerry, we've been talking about music as therapy and an aid for healing. Your whole life has been about bringing people together and making people happy. How did music become your passion? Well, when I was a little boy growing up in South Philadelphia, you know, uh, I've written a book called You Only Rock Once. And in the book, I talk about the fact that my mother ran away and married a Jewish fellow in 1936. She was Italian. He was Jewish. And back in those days, that was a no-no. And she basically was disowned. And he was disowned from the Jewish side because he was basically a bootleg or a racketeer. And my mother had to get a job as a riveter uh, because he was in and out. And me and my sister would stay in a room, and in the morning, my mom would have to go to be at the Navy Yard, so she would get us up and take us to St. Monica's Day Nursery School, which was at 17th Street. And I remember as a lonely kid back in those days, the one thing that my mom always played was music. She had a radio, and there was always music in the house, Patty Page, uh, the Andrew sisters, Frank Sinatra, Perry Como, Joni James, and I always heard music. And during the summertime, we would go to a YMCA camp, and I, my dad brought me a little radio transistor. And late at night in the bunk up in Downingtown, I would turn the radio transistor on, because up there we were in the mountain, 
and I was able to get all different stations. And I heard this wonderful music that reached me as a lonely kid, because music will always speak for where you are, where you've been, what you experience. So music was my passion. And I found a show called Bandstand in 1953. I was 13, I had to be 14, but my Capuana, the Italian side, they were in the coal business, in the ice business, and they were very successful. So they had a TV. And my Uncle Jimmy was to appear on Bandstand with his singing group. And I saw these kids jitterbugging to rock and roll to Shake, Rattle, and Roll by Bill Haley. And it wasn't the original. So I snuck in to bandstand. It was a dance contest going on, because I said I could dance better than them. And we went up with the kids from South Philly, and I won the Jitterbug contest. And there was another contest. And all of a sudden, I got into that, and I won that contest. Well, the host, Bob Horn, came to me and said, listen, we know that you snuck in you're not 13, but you're getting fan mail. You're one of the most popular kids. No more dance contests. But because you're such a good dancer, we want you to select the committee kids that would dance on the floor. And then when you would go out to commercial, you would rotate. So that was my first job, $15. But beside that, I had the ear for the music, which I felt. And I would say to Bob Horn, he would give me a record by Pat Boone called Ain't That a Shame. He would give me a record called Tweedledee Dee by Georgia Gibbs. Sure. He said, we're going to rate the record. And I would say, Bob, this is not the real, that's not the real song. He said, what do you mean? Pat Boone has Ain't It a Shame. It's national. I said, let me get you the real record by Fats Domino. Because late at night, as a kid, I remember hearing Fats Domino. And I went to Sunray Drugstore, and I started to get Bob Horn, the real R&B songs that were being covered by the major artists of the day. Now, that all ended, by the way, Marianne, when Dick Clark took over Bandstand, because the majors could no longer cover these independent little labels that had the hits. Little Richard had Tutti Fruity. Well, you know, Pat Boone had it, too. I almost lost my mind. Ivory Jill Hunter. Well, Pat Boone had it. Back in those days, because they had national distribution, the little artists and the little labels, unless somebody played their music, would never be known. And that's the way my life began. Music. When I was lonely, I would turn the radio on, and I would hear a song that reached me. A song, I Only Have Eyes For You, by the Flamingos, uh, you belong to me. And I envisioned going out on dates. And when you didn't know how to say what you felt to a girl, you used to say, hey, I want you to hear a song. And I carried that when I went on radio. I not only played music, but I told stories to teenagers, young teenagers, about how life was. Or if you don't know how to express yourself, let the music speak for you. And it's been like that, Marianne, all of my career. It's about music and making people happy. Because, Marianne, remember one thing. Music brings people together. Regardless of race, color, creed, or religious denomination, music reaches us all. And it reaches us individually 
differently than it reaches somebody else. But it all reaches us the same way. That's sure. how it began. And we learned earlier today, Jerry, that we're hardwired to sing. With dementia, music might trigger a memory and help us recall details, or it can target specific parts of the brain that help with conversation and better movements. So I think that Dr. Jerry Blavitt should get the Nobel Prize because you knew a long time ago when you opened Memories in Margate in 1962, you had it all ready for people. Well, Marianne, I'm blessed. I was a street kid. I grew up in a neighborhood where adults would say, you go over there, you don't belong there, we're going to give you a kick in your ass. Get out of here. I grew up where neighbors watched over you, and there was always music during the summertime coming out of the houses in South Philadelphia. You didn't have any air conditioning. The windows were open. They had fans. You would sleep in the cot. But if you would go up and down the street, they were playing music. Music is the secret. Music tells us where we're going to go, where we've been, and where we should be today. And, and I think, Jerry, after Depression and World War II, in the 50s, when you got started, it was a time of regrowth and building, and people were happy. And like you say, that happy music brought people together. I can tell you, every Saturday night through high school, with my 50 cents, we all went to the mixer at Monsignor Bonner High School. We walked into that gym with about 700 kids, and as soon as I heard your voice, I forgot about the algebra test or the history paper next week. I was ready to Bristol stomp the night away, and you helped us do that. Marianne, and you know the wonderful thing about that? You met kids from every different neighborhood, yes. every different part of Philadelphia. Black kids, Italian kids, Jewish kids, Catholic kids, Protestant kids, and we all came together because of the music, and that's what we've got to do today in this world. This is the greatest country because we have the freedom of choice, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and we have to appreciate that. And it all goes back to music. If you love music, then you love people. If you love people, you appreciate this great country of ours. That's a beautiful way to say it. And I will share with our listeners, this summer, I was driving to the shore on a Friday night with my doggie in the back seat, and I turned my radio on to the Geeter, and you are quite the good citizen because you reminded people, come to Memories, where we're keeping our social distance, come out to the patio and order a drinky-winky. I laughed my head off, and, and then you were singing to a song, Wash Your Hands, Wash Your Hands. Wash so you combined hands, music hands, with a public service hands. announcement. Well, listen, you, as, as in your profession, you help, you heal, you make people happy. I said at the beginning of my career, I am the rebel jock, the doctor with the rocker, who rocks the big TikTok on the Tower Power Talk. And my mission in life, even as, you know, I look back at the world back then. Young people, I looked up to older people. Mm -hmm. I listened to learn. I wanted to learn. And I, I always wanted to hang with older people. You learn from your peers. And I was blessed at an early age to, to be down Rickles Ballet because of music, because of me dancing on bandstand, because I had a group Danny and the Juniors without the hop. Jerry, you brought us the Isley Brothers. It's your thing. Yes. My favorite, oh, favorite. My God. 
Well, dear Geeter, I just want to thank you so much for all the happiness and memories you brought us. Can we make a date? Can we make an air pinky promise here? I'm planning my birthday at Memories on Memorial Day weekend, and I want to meet you there, and I'm hoping you'll play Come on, Marianne. Uh, listen, you not only that, but for your birthday, I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to let you talk to Frankie Valley. Okay, that's a <gasps> promise. <gasps> okay, I'm going to write it down because I'm a Dieter Gold dancer. That's it, and then I'm going to have you cha cha to the soul heart of mine, Brimbrook, a thousand times. <gasps> Each time you go away, mm -mm. I'm going back to stay. Young hearts run free. <laughs> Love you. Thank you, Dr. Marianne. Love you. Thank you, Jerry. You're the best. Keep on rocking, because you only rock once. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. as we close our last segment, we're back with Dr. Alex Pantelia from Johns Hopkins. Alex, tell us, are there specific songs or types of music that can benefit people? Well, in short, Marianne, one size is never going to fit all. It's really all about personally preferred music, or as I, as I like to call it, precision music medicine. Um, certain music, uh, particularly classical music, has historically been used in uh, clinical research, for example, uh, Mozart Sonata for Two Pianos, if you want to look it up on YouTube, uh, K448, Mozart Sonata for Two Pianos, K448, has been uh, looked at uh, in many studies uh, from enhancing some aspects of uh, cognitive function in people to reducing seizures in children who have epilepsy. Uh, that's one particular piece of music that's been studied, but I have to be honest, one size does not fit all, and uh, we are increasingly focusing on personally selected, personally preferred music in our research. I often wonder why they, how they decide what kind of music to play in supermarkets or department stores to make you buy. <laughs> so, Alex, what's the difference yes. between, <laughs> between music therapy and music medicine? I'm glad you asked me that, Marianne, because uh, it's uh, very important to delineate. In short, music therapy is an intervention that's delivered over time to either an individual or a group of people by a certified music therapy. So in the United States, it's the American Music Therapy Association, and uh, that involves at least two years of master's level training, preparation in music therapy. Increasingly, there are PhD programs in music therapy as well. So this is a, a trained person who is doing a um, live or Zoom, as we do now, intervention versus, versus music medicine, which has really been the focus of our research work at Johns Hopkins. That's um, somebody who is not a music therapist. It could be the patient. It could be um, a doctor, a nurse, um, a group of researchers that are using a music or rhythm-based intervention for the purposes of healing, for the purposes of improving certain aspects of function. So music medicine uh, versus music therapy is just something that we want to delineate. Obviously, there's overlap between the two. And we sure. work closely with music mm -hmm. therapists at our center at Hopkins. It's fantastic. Alex, if somebody wanted to see you as a patient or learn more about your programs, tell us how they'd find you. Yes, very easy. Please email us at musicandmedicine. That's one word, no underscores or hyphens. Musicandmedicine at J, like Jacob, H, like Howard, M, like mom, I, like Ian, dot E-D-U. 
music and medicine at jhmi.edu. Alex, thank you so much. That was fantastic, enlightening, and continue your great work. We'll have to back, have you back in the near future. Thanks. I would love to. Thanks so much, Marianne. Now, your real champions. And now, for your real champion, Mr. Eric Woods. I call this segment, Yes, I'd Like to Be Your Neighbor. St. Joseph Preparatory School a Philadelphia landmark institution since 1851. It's a high school that prepares and develops the minds of young men, but also their hearts, souls, and characters. The Jesuit priests embrace a spirit of cura personalis, Latin for caring for the whole person, affirming the value and dignity of every individual. The mission? To live a faith that does justice and forms students to be men for others and men with others. Nestled in North Philadelphia, the PrEP values its long tradition as a member of the community and its strong relationship with neighbors. You can earn a high school diploma in lots of different schools, but part of the PrEP experience is to witness the poverty and violence that surround you and then respond. At the PrEP, you learn that service is a continuous thread in your moral fabric. Meet Mr. Eric Woods, the Associate Campus Minister for Ignatian Service. St. Ignatius was the founder of the Order of the Jesuits, Society of Jesus. St. Ignatius saw education as the means for a student to seek God in all things. Mr. Eric Woods embodies this message and puts mission in action. Opportunities for service abound at St. Joe's Prep. Students tutor neighborhood children, connect with city programs like Anti-Drug, Anti-Violence Network, grants as parents. Week-long service trips in the summer or spring break to missions in Appalachia, Camden, Puerto Rico. With COVID restrictions, Eric continues to connect PrEP students with virtual opportunities, tutoring, writing letters to nursing home residents. And in response to the pandemic's call to action, Eric also created Service Saturdays. Every other week, he holds a grocery giveaway. PrEP students meet at 8 a.m. in the school parking lot and team up to pack boxes of groceries for over 200 neighbors who then come to the PrEP. Eric made this project happen by coordinating with City Councilman Billy Heenan, who supports Caring with Friends, a service that provides meals for isolated seniors and needy families across Greater Philadelphia. When there are leftovers, Eric packs a van and takes five to six students to deliver to the Johnson Homes Project to some of the neediest people in our city. Driving back to school after a recent delivery, Eric asked the boys to reflect and share the most meaningful moment of their day. One student in particular became emotional. Unable to say the words, he simply pointed to the ground, meaning right here and right now, sharing with the poor he had just met. Well, the joy travels in two directions. Hungry people feel loved and students interface with grateful neighbors, learning the valuable lesson of humility. Every other Saturday is Gerard Carter cleanup. Eric shares that lots of students use public transportation and they walk to school not noticing their surroundings may even step over trash. Now a team goes to the surrounding streets from 9 a.m. to noon on Saturdays through December, picking up debris and trash, making a noticeable contribution to the community. Eric says the road to our school is now neat, tidy, and presentable. Neighbors definitely appreciate the gesture. And on the very first Saturday, one student remarked, we made a difference so quickly. In just an hour, it looks totally different. Eric also invites alumni to join the service opportunities. Along with seeing the world with more empathy, the students gain respect for their teachers who open their eyes to the needs of their brothers and sisters 
They also bond with fellow students and forge a brotherhood that will keep them linked for life. We salute you, Mr. Eric Woods, this week's Real Champion. Tune in next week. Dr. Salvatore Mangione, Associate Professor of Medicine, noted author and speaker with extensive research in the history of medicine. He'll share the history of medical diseases of U.S. presidents and world leaders and how it has affected their ability to lead. November continues with national experts on the latest testing and treatments for pancreatic cancer, a growing problem in the U.S. The next week, a full discussion on dementia. Remember, send us your stories about champions in your family or community to info at yourradiodoctor.com. Listen to our shows on yourradiodoctor.com. A special thank you to our guest, Dr. Alex Pantaliat, and his choir, the Parkinsonics, who closed the first segment with their beautiful rendition of The Way You Look Tonight. A very big bear hug to my favorite doctors, Dr. Sid Mark, whose calming voice and beautiful music help us relax before we face another busy week, and Dr. Jerry Blavitt, whose timeless tunes get you up on your feet as your brain taps to his discophonic beat. These therapies have no side effects except happiness. So get your flu shot, get your mammograms, and remember, your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.